good morning. All right. Hey, my name's Luke, and I'm usually over at our Fremont campus where I'm the high school pastor over there. Uh, but it's good being over here again. Um, man, it's exciting to see all God's doing at all three of our campuses. Uh, it's exciting to see how God's just using Tiffin. Uh, hopefully, we're going to get those, like, some of that building stuff, all that stuff going on, because uh, you guys got some good problems going on over here. But hey, um, we're continuing on in our series as we investigate the real Jesus. And like any investigation, um, you got to gather all the evidence, right? Um, and as you gather the evidence, you then can take a deeper look and, and be able to determine uh, an outcome or determine what is true. Uh, and so when it comes to like Christianity, there is a ton of evidence that just points to the fact that it's the reliability of it, um, and that the Bible, Scripture is reliable. Um, and, and when we think we start gathering some of those pieces like science, we can, we can just look at science and just go, hey, man, look at the world around us. Look at the complexity of it. Look at the, the universe. Look at ourselves. Uh, the fact that science can't fully um, explain all, all the ways the human body works, it's just because it's so complex. Uh, and then we just use our logic for a second. And we, we think through like the iPhone and uh, the iPhone like, I'm not the smartest guy in this room, um, but like the iPhone, like it doesn't take a genius to realize there's a lot of details that make up your phone in your pocket, right? And, and, and it, somebody took a lot of time putting details in and thinking it through and, and, and the fact that it's so complex, but it, it points to the fact that there was somebody behind it designing it, that created it, that put it all together. And to think, okay, our world, which is so much more complex than the iPhone, your body, which is so much more complex than your phone, and it makes sense that there is a creator, right? And it makes sense that the creator, who we, we would say is, hey, that's God. Uh, and so we grab that piece of evidence, we put it in our pile, and, and then we, we look at the historical evidence. Like, history says Jesus lived. There's, there's not anybody that's saying Jesus didn't live. Jesus changed the entire, uh, his, entire history. The fact that we live in 2024 points to that, right? And, and then we, we just, we realize, okay, all of history is saying this guy really lived, really changed everything about the world that we, we know. Uh, and they just argue, is Jesus who he says he was? Is he God? And then we grab another piece of evidence and we look at the, his, on the historical side, we look at the fact that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. And so Jesus isn't some just ordinary guy. Jesus is actually who he says he was, that he is God. And, and then there's another piece of evidence that I think is really awesome just to think about, the fact that Every single one of us that have trusted in Jesus, we are part of that, the evidence that points to the real Jesus. Like our, our stories, many of us that have come to that point of trusting in Jesus, our story, it might look different, but at some point there's a similarity. We were broken, we were lost, and then Jesus came into the scene and everything changes. 
Like, like one of my favorite stories in, in the Bible is uh, where Saul is on the road to Damascus and he encounters the real Jesus. And from then on, everything changes for him. It's the same way in this story that we're looking at this morning in Luke, at the end of Luke 7, where this woman comes into the story. She encounters the real Jesus and everything changes for her. Look at it with me. Look at verse 36. It says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him, talking about Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair kissing them and anointing them with her perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. It's actually an incredible story. But it also is a really, really Awkward story, if we're honest, right? Like, here's this, here's this scene that is so uncomfortable if we put ourselves into, into it. If we were in the room watching this all happen, it would be really, really uncomfortable. i got to tell you a story. Um, when I was in college, I went to school in a small Christian school down in Georgia. And uh, I, I, so we were, I had this class. It was a New Testament survey. It was my freshman year. Um, and... It was just a brief overview of like the whole New Testament. And uh, in that class, it was a really unique classroom. It was like a stage was on the bottom, and then it was a big lecture hall. So there's class the seating all the way up around it. Um, and one day in our class, my professor gave us an option of two different assignments. He gave us one that was like, hey, uh, here's a 10, you can either write this 10-page paper or, or you can uh, do a group project. And me being scholarly, I, I chose to do the group project. I was like, no way I'm writing the 10-page paper. I'm, I'm going to do the group project. It sounded easier, right? Uh, I have a funny story. I won't tell it because of time's sake. Uh, but Mike, one time, he left me hanging in a group project, and I don't forgive him for that. Just joking. Um, I forgive him, but hold a grudge. Um, but... Uh, I, I, in this group project, it, it made me feel really uncomfortable because then he goes on to explain what the group project is. And the group project was the fact that we would, as we go through this New the New Testament, we would get to different stories. And then he wanted us as a group to present, the, present it as a drama. And I was going, hey, I wasn't in drama club in high school. This is so already out of my comfort zone. And, and so I still chose to do it because in my mind thinking, it's easier, let's do it, let's get it done with. And we met as this group. As we were meeting, we start discussing who's going to play what parts. And by the way, we get Luke chapter 7 here in this story. Uh, and I get chosen to be Jesus. And... As you've, we just read the story, it gets a little awkward. And I start going, no way, no how is that going to happen to me. So, uh, hey, we got to figure out some things. And we're going to do it kind of like it, but not exactly like it. Because, um, you know, the kissing, the feet, like the, the washing, the like tears, you know, that hair. No. 
And, and so I, I chose, I, I led really well, and I said, hey, let's get a bucket of water, and we can, you know, we can kind of do it similar, because everybody's going to get the idea of the story. That's what this whole project's about, that they get the idea of what's going on. So we'll give them the idea, we just don't have to do it exactly like it. Comes the day of this group project. We had a plan going in, and uh, I'm already sweating because I'm up front on the stage. There's this lights on me. Everything else is dark, and my toes are out in front of everybody. Nobody likes that, and, and I'm just un totally uncomfortable, and in comes this girl who's this woman in the scene, and she's carrying her towel that we got, we bought, Poor college kid. It was like part of the Dollar Tree. Um, and then we had a bucket of water, and she comes up, and she gets down at my feet. She acts like she's crying. wasn't because of the smell. Um, but she acts like she's crying. She acts like she's overwhelmed. And then she goes rogue, totally skips what we planned. She pulls out of nowhere a bottle of perfume and pours it on my feet. And I'm like, what is happening um, and I'm just supposed to be reclining back at the table like Jesus is. And I'm like, this is weird. Um, and then she takes it a whole nother step. She gets closer to my feet, grabs her hair, and uses her hair to dry my feet. I've never been so red. <laughs> I, I still to this day, I, I told myself when that happened, I would never speak of it again. And here I am telling you guys, and I'm sorry. Um, but it was so awkward, right? Uh, and in this story, there's some awkwardness in it, but it was a little less awkward than me if a decade ago having that happen to my feet. And, and it's because in that time, there were, it was a little less awkward because they were used to foot washing, right? And there was a, that was a normal process. Somebody's coming to your house, you would, you would wash their feet as they come into your house. But the unusual thing about this story is it's this woman and it's done in this way. Like, if you remember, Simon, there's a guy, Pharisee, his name is Simon. We learn that a little bit later. Simon invites Jesus into his house. Because that was a normal procedure. Simon was this Pharisee. Jesus was looked at as a visiting teacher or rabbi. And so they were inviting Jesus into his house. It was that's what he was supposed to do. And, and when you were inviting this visiting teacher or rabbi to your house, it would be like this open party, this banquet. And, and, and you would invite them in and everybody, anybody could be invited to join. But it was like high school. Like you had the little pyramid, a hierarchy, and you had the cool kids at the top, and we all know who's there, and they're at this cool table, and then everybody kind of works their way down, and then there's the people at the bottom, and everybody knows who's there. And, and so here, Jesus invited to come sit at Simon the Pharisee, his cool table, sit and join, and then everybody else that w didn't make the cool table, they could be in the room, but they could, had to be against the wall, or they weren't even in the room. And they were just listening into the conversation between the cool kids and their conversation. And so it's not unusual that she would be able to come. It's just unusual because she's this woman. Like she's described as a, a, a woman of the city or a sinner. And, and be, anytime that's 
given towards a woman in Scripture, it's because they, they're getting around, they're sleeping around. They're, she's most likely a, a prostitute. And she brings with her this vial or this jar, alabaster jar of perfume, which was this costly thing. And she quickly goes over to be in the house and be in front of Jesus. And we don't know exactly, like we know that she's heard uh, that Jesus is there. And so that's what has allowed her to be there. But we don't know how she knows of who Jesus is. It could be that she's seen a miracle that Jesus has done. It could be she was in the crowd while Jesus was teaching. And, and, and so somehow we just know she just decides, I got to be in the room where this guy's at. I need to see Jesus. It could have been she's come into this room and she had a whole speech prepared, right? She's, she gets in there and, and you can imagine everybody in the room that weren't invited to the cool kids table who are listening in and they see her come in and she's known for her sin. She comes in and she goes right to the cool table and everybody's probably like gasping and watching what is she going to do next. And, and you would think maybe she has the speech prepared, but what happens when she gets to Jesus is she just becomes overwhelmed being in front of him, being in his presence. And she does a few things, right? As she's standing there and she begins to, to cry, who knows why, but she, but she starts crying and, and crying so much so that she's, now her tears are landing on Jesus' feet. And then she starts to use her tears. She, she, she gets down and uses her tears to wash his feet. And maybe out of the awkwardness of the situation around her and the whispers, she then uses her hair to dry his feet. And it could also be that the reason she dried his feet with her hair is because she's this known, probably, prostitute. And any time, uh, 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 in that time, that culture, a woman was going into town square to say, hey, I'm available to... She would take her hair that would be up and she would let it down as that signal. And so it could be, and I, I think this is probably, probably what, what's happening here. She uses her hair to tell Jesus to show and say, hey, this was my past identity. This is my sin. This is what I got going on. And I'm surrendering that at your feet. It's actually a really beautiful picture when you think about it, how we should all respond to the gospel. Like for many of us that have trusted in Jesus, we've come to that point. What, what, what's our story look like? We were lost. We were broken without Jesus. We come to this realization, I need a savior. I need Jesus. And we come to the foot of the cross, the feet of Jesus, and we lay our life down, surrendering to him, Right? It's, it's what's happening here. She, she then, after she dries his feet with her hair, she then begins to kiss them. And then she takes this alabaster jar of perfume and pours it out on his feet. And there's maybe a few reasons why she does that. It could be because the alabaster jar of perfume was, was seen in that culture at that time for women, was seen as a, as a 
as a form of security. It was like a year and a half's wage. And so it was a form of them holding on to this. For the rainy days that could come ahead of your, in your life, you would hold on to this, put it on your shelf for when you needed it, but you would hold on to it as this form of security. And, and so it could be she's pouring it out on the feet of Jesus as a way to just go, I have been counting on this my whole life as this form of security. I'm no longer counting on that. I'm now counting on you, following you. It could be that, and, and it also could be the fact that she was, again, this prostitute. It, it's most likely that she would use that perfume to seduce men in. So it could be just like the hair, oh, another way for her to go, hey, I'm surrendering my sin, what I got going on. I'm taking my identity, my past, and I'm going, God, I don't want to follow my ways. I want to follow you. I'm surrendering that to you. Again, that beautiful picture of how we're called to respond to the gospel. That's what she's doing, all right? That's what she's doing in the room. But what's Simon doing? Like Simon is sitting there and what is he thinking? It says he's thinking to himself, if this guy is the prophet everybody's saying, then he would know what kind of woman this is. He would know, he would know what kind of sin she's got going on. He would know all the details. And he would not want to be having her in his presence. He wouldn't want anything to do with her. The name Pharisee literally means, Simon is this Pharisee, but the name Pharisee literally means separated one. That they are, he's called to be the separated one. And there's good things about some Pharisee, the Pharisees. Like they wanted to know the Old Testament, the, the Bible, the scripture. They desire to know God's word. That's, that's a great thing. That's, that should be all of our desire, to know this better, Right? But then there was also another good thing. They, they wanted to avoid sin. They, that, that's a great thing, right? But they, they somehow started twisting God's truth, his word. And, and at this point, they're waiting for the Messiah, right? And the Messiah is in the room with Simon. He's got Jesus across the table and he's completely missing it. And he's looking at the woman and he's thinking, God would never love her, wouldn't want anything to do with her. Her sin is out of control. And she is disgusting, too dirty, too unclean to ever be forgiven. There's no chance for her. And he's missing the whole point. And... and when I think it happens here, like sometimes I think it happens for us today, is there's, in, in this moment, there's two ways people are using this platform that's given. And, and, and one, it's this woman, and she just uses this moment, this platform that she has as she comes into this room, and she just glorifies and worships Jesus, Right? Then you have Simon who uses the platform to invite Jesus in. But it's only to really, it wasn't to spend time really with Jesus. It was just a formality. It was a way to go, hey, I have to do this, so I'm inviting you into my house. But it was a way to glorify Simon. It, it's, we see that all around our, our, 
and today, like this week, I saw Fox News picked up uh, Patrick Mahomes saying, like, I, I want to give glory to God. And everybody in this room, we would all go, yeah, that's, that's good. Well, we should give glory to God. But then he also goes on. He's like, I want to give glory to God that he uh, tested us this year. And you're like, is it really you're trying to bring glory to God or is you really trying to bring glory to yourself? It's just like, and I think we can all easily slip into that. Like we, in, we, in whatever platform that it might have, whether that's in our job or at school or our, um, because, you know, grandma, grandpa, and we, with our grandkids, whatever platform we use, we can use it to all kind of bring us glory rather than Christ's glory, right? We can twist it. And what we should desire as we, we see people investigating the real Jesus all around us, that's one of our foundations of our church. We want to help people, what? Discover truth. Investigate the real Jesus. But we also want them to, at some point, decide on Jesus. And for all of us that have trusted in Jesus, we're called to, what? Show off Jesus in the way we live. We use our platform to point people towards him. And look what Jesus does next. I love it. It's verse 40. It says this. Jesus replies to him. And I love the fact that he's replying to his thought. It was just unique detail right there. Replies to his thought and he says this. Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon says back, hey, say it, teacher. Which I don't think was like a respectful, hey, say it. I think it was like with attitude. Say it. Like whatever you got, bring it on. As you're sitting there and you're saying you got something to challenge, kind of say to me, well, bring it. Because I don't think you have anything to really challenge me with. I'm, I'm good. That's the way Simon's attitude is here. And then Jesus goes on to tell him a short story, a parable. And so he says this in the next two verses. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, again, I don't think this was like kind. I think this was a little bit of attitude. I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. So Jesus just tells him this simple story, right? He goes, okay, imagine for a second that there's two guys. One of them has like 50 cents worth of debt, right? Like it's, it's not that bad. It's not that out of control. He probably could take care of this. It's just not, it's not that bad. And, and then the other guy has out of control, massive, there's no hope for tomorrow kind of debt. It just makes him anxious when he thinks about it. It's out of control. So imagine if the creditor walks in the room and says, hey, it's all been taken care of. You're good. The debt is gone. Don't worry about it. Which one is honestly going to be more thankful, grateful to hear the, that news? The guy with a little debt or the guy with a massive out of control debt? And so Simon just answers back, well, I suppose, because he's thinking, hey, this is, a, this is like elementary like kind of question. 
What a great story. He's like being sarcastic in the way he responds. I suppose like this is, it's obvious the answer. It's the guy who's got more debt. He's going to be more thankful. He's going to be more grateful. And Jesus then uses this like moment to just go, after Simon goes, I guess it's the one with more, more debt. And Jesus then acknowledges the fact that he got the answer right. Now what he said and what he's thinking is correct. And then he goes on and he said he goes on in the story where he then turns to the woman, the sinful woman, and begins to compare her, a humble, gracious, generous-hearted worshiper, to a proud and ungracious Pharisee. Look at it, verse 44. It says, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? See, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. He just says, Jesus just says, Simon, you've been a terrible host. Like you didn't do some of the things that you're supposed to do, welcoming, greeting me into your home. Like, like I said earlier, it was a normal process for somebody to that was entering your house that you would offer them a way to wash their feet. But Simon, Jesus says, Hey Simon, you didn't even do that. Like Simon had guys working for him. They were the hourly guys, the guy on the bottom of his, his totem pole. And he could have had any of the guys working for him go, hey, I'm not going to do this, but I need you to go and wash this guy's feet when he comes in. And he doesn't. He just ignores that tradition. He ignores it. And he just says, okay, you ignored it, but look at her. She's came into the room and she used her tears to clean my feet and used her hair to dry my feet. What a humble way, right, to worship him. What a way to use the platform to glorify him. And then he goes on, he goes, so, and so what she did, and then he goes, hey, you know how you're supposed to greet me with a, a kiss when I come in? Which is, again, something like that cultures around our world today still do. It was a normal process back for then. It wasn't anything weird. It was just a way to go, hey, I'm welcoming you into my house. I want, it's a warm welcome. It's a way to say, hey, there's no distance between us. I'm wanting you to feel like this is your home. It was just this way they were supposed to do it. And to totally ignore that tradition was a way for Simon to go, hey, Jesus, I want you to not just know there's distance between us. I want you to feel like there's distance between us. I want you to feel like you're on that end of the table. I'm on this end of the table for a reason. And he goes, Jesus is going, that's, that's what you did. You're making it clear you don't any kind of relationship with me. But she, she, he goes, look at her. She hasn't stopped 
kissing my feet. Why? Because she wants nothing more than to be close to me near him. There's no greater desire for her in that moment than I want a relationship with you. And then he goes, this third thing, he goes, you didn't anoint my head with this oil, which was a, a, a way to, again, welcome somebody in your house. It was a dry environment. It was a way to refresh somebody as they came into your house. And so he goes, you didn't do that, but look at what she's doing. She has poured out this costly perfume on my feet and anointed my feet. He just points out this, this distinction between the two of them, which was obvious. But he's in this comparison of the two, Simon, remember, he has been looking at her and going, how disgusting she is. How awful, how terrible a person this is. And Jesus is wanting her to know and wanting Simon to know that he accepts her, he loves her, and he's willing to forgive her. Look what Jesus says next. He says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And so he deals with the thought earlier of Simon that said, hey, if this guy was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. He would know what kind of sin she got going on. And he wouldn't want nothing to deal with her. And he goes, hey, I know her sins. And there are a lot. <laughs> I get it. But they're forgiven. That's why she loved much. This is key. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, now no longer talking to Simon, now looking at her, speaking to her, he goes, your sins are forgiven. Her debt that had been massive, it was out of control. Jesus had forgiven her much. And as a result, she poured out her love for God with an extravagant display of passion that Simon couldn't even comprehend. It was a way for Jesus here in this moment to not just assure her of his love for her, but assure her of his forgiveness of her. It's a, Again, an amazing moment, but you can imagine the, the awkwardness in the room, the whispers in the room. That's what we see in the next verse. It says, those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves. They're whispering among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? It's actually a great question. It's a great question. How can you forgive someone's sin that isn't against you? You can't, right? If it's not done against you, you can't, for, you can't forgive it. What they're not realizing in this moment is they're, they're asking this question of the guy who just told this story, powerful story of the creditor and two debtors. They're not realizing the creditor is in the room. That the creditor, Jesus, is God. And in the beginning, he created people 
you, me, what we're told in Genesis 1, you're created and I'm created in the image of God, we're created. And so what that means is that we're called to reflect what God is like, but we have all broken the image because of our sin. That's what the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. We all haven't reflected what God is like. We've all broken the image. We've all sinned. And here's the truth. Some of us, we walked in this room this morning and we were maybe thinking we're like Simon. And we're probably, we could be thinking again like we're Simon. We think our sin isn't really that bad. It's not really that out of control. And, and so we think, because it's all really easy, right? It's really easy to find somebody that looks worse than us. It's, all, it's easy to turn the corner and go, well, I'm not as bad as she is, and I'm not as bad as he is. And so if it came down to him or her and me, oh, God's going to let me in. He's going to overlook my little debt because, man, their debt is massive. But that's not what the Bible says, right? It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark because of our sin. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. The penalty for our sin. What we just don't realize is we don't realize our sin is as big of a deal as it is. Our sin, what we deserve for our sin is death. Eternal separation for God forever in hell. That's what every single one of us deserve. But the gift, or as some translations say there, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's great news for every single one of us, right? Every single one of us, we can have eternal life in heaven through Jesus. And guess what? Even better news, it's free. You don't have to do anything to earn it. It's a free gift. It's like any gift. You can either receive it or you can reject it. And if you're sitting in the room and you're going, well, I'm kind of neutral today, then you're rejecting it. You can either receive it or reject it, but it's a free gift. And Jesus is offering that to every single one of us today, like he's offered it to this woman in this moment, in this scenario. And and what we see in verse 50, as the story ends, it says this, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And go in peace was just a formal way to say the conversation is done. But he said, your faith has saved you. Not, hey, all the things that you just did, the, the you crying, you using your hair to wash my feet and dry my feet. Uh, he, he doesn't say the fact that you kissed my feet. Uh, he doesn't say, hey, the fact that you used this costly perfume. Those things have made you saved. He doesn't say that. He says, your faith has saved you. Because the only way you can be saved, the only way you can accept the free gift is through faith. Is by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone to be your salvation. 
It is like the image of what she gives us of where she comes and surrenders everything she has. And she surrenders that at the feet of Jesus. That's what we're all called to do. If we realize that we are broken, and we all can realize that, that we, are, we have sinned against a perfect, righteous, holy God, and we deserve eternity separated from him forever in hell, but he's offered us the free gift through Jesus. The only way you can accept the free gift is through him, not by you thinking, I'm just not that bad. You thinking you're not that bad is sending you to hell. Because we're actually all terrible. Our debt is massive. It is out of control and we deserve hell. But great news, you can accept the free gift today and your eternity can change. Like in this one moment for her, she has been searching her whole life for something that will satisfy, something that will fulfill her whole life, her, the void that's in her life. She's been searching for it. And in this one encounter with the real Jesus, everything changes. Her eternity changes. She goes from this woman that was described as a sinner. That's her identity. That's what everybody knows her as. This woman of the city, the sinner. And now she's gone from a sinner to forgiven. She's gone from that she was dead in her sin to alive in Christ. She goes from that her sin that has been tarnishing. It was this image, that her identity. She's now forgiven of all that. Her, the sin is gone away as far as east is from the west. It, she, she's made white as snow. She's described as being born again, adopted in God's family. She's now described as this daughter of his. Everything has changed in that moment where she surrendered her life to him. And here's the question for me to you today. It's like for some of us, you came in and you were investigating Jesus today. And maybe hopefully you realize today, I need to surrender my life to him. And, and I would say it's as simple as just ABC. It's simple as crying out to God, finding a time today where you can cry out to God, admit to him that you're a sinner, you're broken, that you need a savior. And you believe that Jesus came into the world to die on the cross, to pay the wages, pay the penalty for your sin, to deal with it. And, and see that you're, you're wanting to confess, hey, I want Jesus, I want you to be the Lord over my life. I'm surrendering all of me over to you. And in that moment, you also can be forgiven of all of your sin, just like she is. And like many of us in this room have been. And it is the greatest moment you can ever have in your entire life because everything changes. For many of us in this room, though, we have made that decision. But here's the, here's the truth. I think that we get so busy in the day-to-day -day that we forget that we're forgiven much. Like that, He says, some, some love little because they think their debt is little. Some love much because they realize, they realize, they understand my debt was huge. It was out of control. Do you realize that your debt was out of control? And some of us, we just need to be reminded of that daily, right? We don't get tired of hearing the gospel of what Jesus has done for you. That is everything. 
or debt is, was out of control and you're forgiven. There's joy in that, right? Can you imagine when she hears the words from Jesus and then she understands he's no longer talking to Simon, but he's now talking to her and he goes, you are forgiven all the sin, all your past is forgiven, you're new. The joy in that moment she probably felt. Whether you realize it or not, if you come to that point of trusting in Jesus, I mean, your debt has been handled, right? You're forgiven. You're made new. Let us this week love him back much and use the platforms that we have been given to glorify and worship him so that we can point other people towards him, right? If you guys would, stand with me and let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you today. And God, you are deserving of that. You're deserving of all of our life in worship towards you. Because God, you came into the world, and you went to the cross, and you died on the cross to pay for and deal with our sin. That many of us in this room now standing here are debt-free because of you, because we have surrendered our life over to you and, and what you've done on, in the work on the cross. And God, thank you so much for that forgiveness. Thank you for the new life that you offer us. And Lord, because of that, I pray that we would live in obedience to you and live loving you much because of what you have done for us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we are